Who are the real people we consider our sages? Who were they in life? What is the legacy they left us? Join Rabbi Danny Saxton for the next hour as he explores the lives of our Torah giants, the spiritual geniuses who shaped the way we approach Judaism today. That's Focus on Our Sages right now on 101.9 High FM. afternoon and welcome to Soul to Soul. Always a great privilege to share some ideas with you on a Wednesday afternoon. And we find ourselves in the month of Av, Av not Av, sorry. <laughs> I'm learning Av in Dafa the month of Adar, um, the beautiful month of Adar. And the the Mishnah says, Mishanichnas Adar Marbim Simcha. When Adar comes, when we go through the month of Adar, so we're filled with Simcha, with joy. There's an increase of joy in the month of Adar. I heard from Rabbi Pesach Kron when he spoke to Rav Shimon Schwab, who was one of the great um, rabbinic leaders of our generation. He's passed on. <clears throat> Rabbi Schwab said uh, an interesting observation about Simcha. So that same Mishnah that tells us, Mishanichnas Adar Marbim Besimcha, when the month of Adar arrives, we increase in our joy, continues the, the Mishnah, Mishanichnas Av, when the month of Av comes, we reduce our joy. So if we are very medaic, if we are precise with the words of the Mishnah, it doesn't say that we don't have any joy in the month of Av. Now, we know the month of Av is the month of Tisha B'Av, the month of sadness, the month when both temples were destroyed, the month when a number of calamities have happened to the Jewish people. But the Mishnah doesn't say that we remove our Simcha. It says, we reduce our Simcha. So it means even in our sad times, there is simcha. Why is that? Because in the life of a Jew who's connected to God and who's connected to Torah, there's always simcha. The consequence, the direct byproduct of living a life of Torah and of mitzvahs is a sense of joy. Why? Why is that? How does that work? So if we, we analyze the attitude that a Jew should have in this world, a Jew that's connected to God and Torah, the attitude is one of appreciation. The Torah wants us to instill within ourselves a mindset and a, and a consciousness of gratitude. That's the world we generally are on our tights for power, and for pleasure. And that is, uh, generally speaking, by and large, the preoccupation of most people within the secular world is trying to uh, gain power and success financially and with regards to one's status and fulfilling one's physical pleasures and desires. And most of life is taken up with those pursuits. And so it's not a a great wonder and surprise that there's so much depression and there's so much addiction and there's a lot of sadness in the world that we see today. The Torah approach is very different. The Torah approach is tries to train us to see the glass not being half full but being 80% full, 90% full. And if we look at our lives and see the tremendous blessings in our lives, how much blessing we all have, every single one of us, no matter how different, difficult our circumstances are, no matter how 
impossible our situations may be. And uh, we've all gone through hard times with the pandemic this last year. But even so, if we look at it objectively and we look at it in a clear way, we see how much bracha, how much blessing there is in all of our lives. The fact that we can open our eyes and see the blessing we say every morning, Baruch Hashem, look at the Melech Olam, Pokeach Ivrim. Hashem gives us sight. We, most of us have sight, don't we? What a gift it is to have sight. The fact that we, our digestive system works and our, um, uh, immune system works. These are incredible gifts. The hospitals are filled with people that don't have immunity, can't digest their food, that have all sorts of difficulties and problems. And the fact that we have families and we have an ability to support ourselves and we have so much joy and so much blessing in our lives. Yes, there are hard things. Yes, there are challenges. Yes, there are situations that are difficult for us. But in perspective, those are very, very small relative to the incredible blessings we all enjoy. And so the Torah approach is to focus on those blessings. The Torah wants us to wear lenses where we see the blessings, where we hone in on the blessings, where we appreciate the good and the blessings in our lives. And when we do that, the automatic byproduct, the automatic consequence is joy and is happiness and is a sense of, of exhilaration that exists in our lives. There was a very interesting study that was done in the States recently in which they took two groups of sick people. Um, they all had the same condition and they all were in the same stage of that condition and they divided them into two. Part of the group would carry on with their same old attitudes and approaches to life and the other part of the group, they were told that they have to compulsory to open up a gratitude journal and every single day they have to write three entries into the journal of things that they're grateful for in their lives. They do think about them carefully and every day for a few weeks identify three different things that they're grateful for that exist in their lives. It could be their spouse, it could be their children, it could be their sense of hearing, it could be the weather, it could be a beautiful sunset, whatever, there have been so many things, it's endless. It could be the great miracle of technology and the iPhone, whatever it is. And they found very interestingly that the group that had their gratitude journals were doing much better physiologically, not even, you know, their, their mental state, but their physical state, their actual ability to deal with their condition, to with their disease was much better. They were in a much better place of the disease and the illness than those that have a gratitude journal. So we see that by focusing on the good in our world and in our lives, it gives us an ability to raise ourselves both mentally, physically, and of course, spiritually. And there's so many proofs for that in the Torah. We see that our Siddur, what's the first thing we say in Siddur? The first thing we say is Modeh Ani. We open our eyes in the morning and we say, thank you, Modeh Ani Lefanecha, Melechai Vakayam. Thank you, the living, eternal God, that you've returned my soul back to my body. I have another day of life. You believe in me to give me another day of life in this beautiful world. We start with saying thank you. The whole day is full of things. The blessings, 14 blessings, we 
God for our shoes and we for our eyes and the world then get up in the morning we appreciate those things that we usually take for granted and we say modim we daven the shmon esrei three times a day we bow down to Hashem and say modim anachudach thank you Hashem for giving me so much for giving me a life for giving me the opportunity to be in your world the very last pasuk in Tehillim the very last verse that we say in Psalms is kol hanashama tahal Hallelujah! Every uh, soul praises God. God should be praised. So the Midrash says, don't read Kol Hanashama, but rather read Kol Hanashima to Hallelujah! Every breath, Nashama and Nashima are the same letters. Every breath we take is a praise to you, God. Especially at this time of the COVID pandemic that we have seen what it means to breathe. And so many people have suffocated, have died, literally their lungs clog up through this terrible virus and have died. The fact that we can breathe, that we breathe and we praise God for our breath is an incredible blessing, an incredible gift. So when we focus on the blessings in our lives and we all are full of blessings, the vast majority is blessings, the automatic consequence is joy and happiness. And therefore, even though Ab is our sad month, we mamatim, we reduce in joy, but the joy is still very much there. And it's a very powerful attitude of gratitude that we should all consciously install into our lives. And it makes a massive difference to our level of happiness. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. We're talking about having a healthy mind and healthy body, and that is largely impacted upon by our levels of simcha of joy. And the Torah wants us to develop this attitude of gratitude, see the good, see the blessing, see the good in our, in the relationships, in the people that are nearest and dearest to us, see the blessing in the world that surrounds us, both in our own personal health, in the relationships we have, in the blessings that Hashem gives us, in our circumstances, in our environment. And one has to, it is a conscious effort to achieve this level because our default position is to be negative, is to see the worst, is to complain, is not to appreciate the good and the blessings in our world. But when we do, that impacts dramatically on our levels of joy, of simcha, of happiness. And this month, the month of Adar, is the time to do that. We increase our joy in Adar, and we work on this important characteristic of seeing the blessings and expressing appreciation for those blessings that we have in our lives. So maybe try that. Maybe once a day, send out a WhatsApp to somebody, thanking them for what they do for you, appreciating the role they play in your life. And you will see you see how that impacts on that relationship and on our life and attitude in general. And that's really a beautiful idea that Rabbi, Rabbi Tversky emphasizes from this last week's Pasha. We know Rabbi Abraham Tversky passed away very sadly um, just over three weeks ago. We haven't even reached his shloshim. He was a tremendous human being. We spoke about him two weeks ago in detail about his impact of the world and his life. And uh, both as a psychiatrist and as a rabbi, he uh, touched 
millions of people around the globe and his beautiful understanding of life and his um, sharing his outlook and uh, teaching others to achieve a closeness to God and a joy in their lives is is something that's very, very powerful. And he writes on Lost Week's Pasha, the very famous Pasuk says, that Hashem says to the Jewish people, commands the Jewish people, make for me a mikdash, make for me a sanctuary, I will dwell in them. So the Shlach and the Reishis Chochma both say, the famous vote, what does the verse say, I'll dwell in them? It should say, in it, in the Mikdash. But it says in them, because God is telling us that he wants each and every one of us to make ourselves a sanctuary, to make ourselves a place where God is comfortable to reside, where God is comfortable to dwell. As a, Rabbi Tversky tells the story of the Baal Shem Tov, who went to a particular town, and um, when he got to the town, the, the people from the town came to him, and they complained about the Chazan, about the Shalech Tzibur. And they said, our Shalech Tzibur, when he does the al which is the confessions of the sins on Yom Kippur, he does so in a very happy, joyful tune. And that really bothers us, because it seems to us to be inappropriate to sing such a happy, joyful tune on Yom Kippur. And the Baal Shem Tov went to the Shalech Tzibur, and he asked him about it. And the man answered, him, yes, that is true. But he said, the way I view it, what I'm doing is clearing out all the clutter and all the schmutz from the palace in order that the king can come in and dwell in that place. For me, that's a very joyful thing to do, to create space for the king to come in and to dwell. And the Baal Shem Tov said that he was very moved by those words. They had a, a very deep impact on him. So by us doing the work as a Jew and clearing out the schmutz, the averas, the darkness in our personalities, the, the, the transgressions we have committed. So that's a very joyful thing to do for Hashem to come in. The great and holy Kotzkarebi, the Kotzkarebi, um, his Yotzai just passed the 22nd of Shvat. Um, he died in the year 1859. The Kotzka was a great genius who also had a tremendous impact on the Jewish world. The Kotzka was, um, there was the the great Chosim in Lublin, who was a, a great Hasidic Rebbe in Lublin in Poland. I was, uh, two years ago, was privileged to be at his grave and to visit many of the holy sites in Poland, Lithuania. And the Chosim in Lublin had a Talmud. He was called the Yida Kadosh. His name was um, Yaakov Yitzchak Horovitz. And he um, broke away from his Rebbe, from the Chosim in Lublin, and he uh, started a new branch of Hasidus, which was... Um, a lot more dedicated to Limud HaTorah and to developing and growing and to developing one's character. And they, he was very strict, the, the Yida Kadosh. And when he passed away, Rav Simcha Bunim Pshischa took over that particular branch of Hasidus. And Rav Simcha also, Rav Simcha said, give me a hundred Hasidim who when they say Hashem Lokechem MS, they really believe it. That's all I want. So there was quite a departure from the general Hasidic movement in Poland at the time, which was becoming focused around telling stories and around, you know, a little bit folksy um, and less focused on the rigorous hard work of developing one's character. So Rasim Chabunim then carried on from um, the Yida Kadosh and he met the, the Menachem Mendel of Kotsk when Menachem Mendel of Kotsk was a young man. And at that first meeting, he looked him in the eye 
the Rav Simcha Bunim, and he said to Rav Nachum Mendel, said, where is God? Rav Nachum Mendel said, God is everywhere. And he repeated the question, where is God? Nachum Mendel says, we say the Pasuk from Yeshaya, that the whole world is full with God's glory. He says again, where is God? So Rav Nachum Mendel said, if you don't like my answer, what is your answer? And he answered, he said, God is everywhere you allow him to be. And the Rav Nachmental said those moves, those words also moved him tremendously and greatly. So much of our lives, as I mentioned earlier, are taken up with ourselves, with our egos, with our pursuit of power and of pleasure. There's just, it's all about me and my needs and what I want and I need to succeed and I need to beat that guy or that woman and I need to fulfill that desire that I have, that I'm chasing. And so our world and our headspace and our life generally, unless we put on the brakes, unless we harness it, is filled with ourselves. We are all very egocentric and very self-centered individuals. And maturity and growth spiritually means containing oneself, constraining oneself, limiting, creating boundaries in our own needs and ego and allowing space for Hashem to come in, allowing space for Hashem to be a part of our life and a part of our world, holding ourselves back and letting Hashem into that space. And that's what the Gemara in, in Erechim says. The Gemara in Erechim quotes the passage from Yeshaya that says that um, Hashem says that I am, even though I am exalted on a high, but I am I rest and dwell with the lowly of spirit. And the Gemara says that Hashem says he cannot be with one who is arrogant and who is vain. So when we're too full of ourselves, there's no space for Hashem. When we control ourselves, so Hashem can come into that space. And when we do that successfully, when we create that mikdash, when we make ourselves a sanctuary and a dwelling place for God, so that is the greatest joy that exists in the world. There's no greater pleasure than that. Um, the Achazal, the Mesir quotes that, the, the Midrash that says, Ein adam a person doesn't leave this world with even a half of their desires fulfilled. The more we chase our desires, the more we want more. The more we, the less satisfied we are. And the more we control ourselves, the more satisfied we become. And so when we learn that very difficult lesson, and when we, we have that self-control of our own ego and of our own desires, we then constrain ourselves, make ourselves smaller and allow Hashem to come into that space. And when we do that, that is joy. That is simcha. That gives a sense of fulfillment and a sense of tranquility and a sense of meaning and a sense of accomplishment that, that, that we have in our lives. And sometimes we come across holy people that have done this hard work and we sense in them this tremendous feeling of satisfaction and of tranquility. They are grounded and are so um, comfortable and at ease with themselves and with life. And it's almost contagious, that feeling of joy that they have in their lives. And they usually have very little materially. And there's very little, you know, uh, comfort in their existence. But they have this inner peace and this inner tranquility. And that comes from creating a space for Hashem in the world, holding ourselves back, allowing Hashem to enter. And the consequence of that is a sense of fulfillment and of joy of simcha. So, Mishenichnas Adar Marbims, and it's amazing. The word Adar is Aleph Dalit Resh. 
So if you break that up, it's Aleph Dar. Aleph is one. That's Hashem. Hashem is the one in the world. Dar, Hashem dwells in Adar. When we allow Hashem to dwell, that's the month of Adar, that's the month of Simcha. When we bring Hashem into ourselves and into our lives, the direct consequence is one of joy and of Simcha. And it's just a pleasure to be around a person who has that joy and Simcha and has done that work and has a sense of of fulfillment and of tranquility in their lives. I mean, no, nothing is ever perfect, and we all have our struggles and difficulties, but as much as we can do that, so that is the level of joy and tranquility, it's beautiful to be in a home where there's that sense of joy and tranquility, when there's a spirituality and there's God's God is welcomed in and dwells in that home. And that's uh, something else I wanted to mention is that, you know, we, we try and talk about the sages as much as we can in the show. And um, we've just had Zayin Adar. So last Friday was Zayin Adar, the 7th of Adar. The 7th of Adar was the birthday and the Yotzeit of Moshe Rabbeinu. We know the Pasuk tells us in Shmois, Mispar Yamecha Amale, that Hashem says, I'll fool the days of your life. And our sages teach us, Hashem is telling us, that, that when a person is born and dies on the same day, we're talking about the Hebrew date, not the secular calendar. So that Hashem has fooled their days. It's an indication that they were a righteous person. And there are a few examples of that in the history of the Jewish people. One of them being David HaMelech. King David was born on Shavuos and died on Shavuos. His days were filled. And of course, David HaMelech was a very righteous person. And the other example is Moshe Rabbeinu. Is Moshe, the great leader of the Jewish people, the most noble human being to ever walk the face of the earth, um, Moshe Rabbeinu was born and died on Zion Adar. And also, Rav Moshe Feinstein. Rav Moshe Feinstein was born on the 7th of Adar, and he died on that day also. And that's why he was named Moshe, and uh, he too was a very holy, righteous man. In fact, we have our program called Torah Tuesdays, where we have every second Tuesday a webinar with an international guest speaker, um, Marshul Sunny Kehila, together with Santan Shul and together with OJE and together with Osamach Savoy, um, we run this program every second Tuesday night. So last night we had Rav Moshe Meir Weiss. And Rav Weiss was actually a Talmud of Rav Moshe Feinstein. He was very close to Rav Moshe Feinstein. He told us maybe a little bit at the end, I'll tell you what he told us, what Rav Moshe does on Purim, which I thought was really fascinating. So, but there's a beautiful lesson we learn about Zion Adar, um, which I want to share with you. It's a lesson that I saw in Sefer. Atodah, the book of our heritage, written by Eliyahu Kitov, who was a, a very great man. His, uh, his granddaughter lives in Johannesburg. Um, so Eliyahu Kitov writes, and he says there's a beautiful lesson of the birth of Moshe. And it's a lesson that I think is very valuable for all of us. And fits in with the month of Adar. And that is that Moshe Rabbeinu was born under the most difficult circumstances imaginable. He was born in a conditions which were very, very difficult. Um, we know that Paro had his terrible decree, called Ben Beyor Tashlichu, that any boy that's born to the Jewish people was to be thrown into the river, into the Nile. Um, Pharaoh's acromancers, his prophets, told him that the savior of the Jews is, going, is being born now, and he, his downfall will be water. And so Pharaoh issues this terrible decree. And it's already two years into the decree, and Amram, who's Moshe's father, decides that it's not worth um, having children under these conditions. And so he separates from his wife. He was the Gadol Ador. He was the 
leader of the generation. And once he separated from his wife, so all of the Jewish people separated from their wives. And his daughter approached him. His daughter was Miriam, uh, was the, the daughter of Yochevet and Amram. And she had Ruach HaKodesh, she had divine inspiration. And she said to her father, she said, you know what, Abba, your decree is worse than Paro's decree. Because Paro's decree is only against the boys. Yours is against, against the boys and girls. And Paro's decree is only in this world. And your decree is in this world and the next world. And Paro, this is all from the Gomorrah and Saita. She said, and Paro's decree may not be fulfilled because he's a Rosha, but you're a Tzaddik, so your decree will be fulfilled. And these words had a great impact on Amran. He thought about it, and he actually decided that it was a mistake. Miriam was five years old at the time, and he took the advice and the rebuke of his five-year-old daughter, and he said, you're quite right, I accept what you're saying. And he um, uh, moved back in with his wife, and as a result... Moshe Rabbeinu is born, and Moshe Rabbeinu becomes the savior of Klai Israel. It's not simple. He grows up in the palace, so, you know, it's still very, very difficult and challenging. He's growing up in the lion's mouth, parallel the cause of all the suffering of the Jewish people. That's where Moshe grows up. But he ends up being the savior of Klai Israel. So even in, the, we see from here a beautiful lesson, says Rabbi Eliyahu Kitov. We see that even in the darkest circumstances, even in the most difficult situations imaginable, that there is light. And there is hope. And as long as Hashem is part of the equation, as long as we're connecting to Hashem and turning to Hashem, anything can happen. And out of the darkness and the suffering and the most terrible situation imaginable comes the light and the Savior and salvation. So when Hashem is present, when we turn to Hashem, we can succeed no matter how difficult the circumstances. And that's certainly a very important lesson for all of us right now that we're going through this terrible pandemic and there's been a lot of fallout of course, with people's health and with people's financial situations, with people's emotional state, that we should realize that we should turn to Hashem and salvation is always around the corner when we're connecting to Hashem. A great lesson from Zayn Adar. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. So let's talk a little bit about Purim now. We don't have much time left, unfortunately. But let's uh, go through the basics of Purim. And uh, hopefully we'll all fulfill the beautiful mitzvahs of Purim and celebrate this incredible hug as we are supposed to. So firstly, just to start off, um, we all need to be very careful this Purim. Uh, we saw last year in the Northern Hemisphere that as a result of the Purim celebrations, many people uh, contracted COVID, and in fact, many people died. So that's the last thing we want to happen this year. We don't want uh, Purim to be a super spreader. Um, the shuls have been quite incredible in how careful they've been in implementing the COVID protocols. And so it is safe to go to shul. It's, I would say it's definitely safe to go to shul than just to go shopping. Um, and the shuls are careful and they ensure that there's social distancing and masks are worn and there's regular sanitizing. So one can go to shul and obviously has to, we all have to play our part in being as careful as possible. Um, 
and we need to hear the Megillah. So it's important that we all make an effort that we go to Shul and hear the Megillah. Since we are limited to 50 inside and 100 outside, um, one does need to book for Megillah readings and contact your local Orthodox Shul, and you'll be able to find out what time the Megillah readings are and to make bookings for those readings. Um, most of the shuls have multiple Megillah readings in order to facilitate the um, opportunity for everybody to hear the Megillah. So don't miss the Megillah. That's the first mitzvah of Purim. Very important to hear the Megillah. And there's then the mitzvah of Shalach Manos, and there's a mitzvah of Matanus Levioni. We'll talk briefly about all of them. And the fourth mitzvah of Purim is the Sudas Purim, is having a Suda, having a meal. Um, and this year, we highly, more than highly recommend, we urge everybody, it's very important that we have Purim Sudas alone, only with members of our household. It's critical that we do that. Um, because if we're inviting others, so it increases the risk so much more. And as we know, that there is a mitzvah Purim, which hopefully we'll have a chance to talk a little bit about also in a few moments. But we do are supposed to have yain, wine at the sutta, and the masks are off, and the precautions are less, and we become complacent, and it becomes dangerous. So please, only of course you have to have a Purim Suda and celebrate Purim as you're supposed to, but only do so with members of your household and don't do so with any guests. And this year Purim has to be alone, just with our family, and that's the right way. The doctors are all urging us to do this. The Rabbonim are urging us to do this. So please be careful and don't be irresponsible and play your part in ensuring that Purim doesn't become a super spreader in our community. And especially with our teenagers, we need to try and ensure and make sure that the teenagers are not going to events where there's mingling, where there's mixing, where there's uh, dangers of the spread of COVID. Okay, so let's talk about those mitzvahs. So the first one, as we mentioned, is the Megillah. Now, the Megillah is such an important mitzvah and such a holy mitzvah. We obligated all of us to hear men, women, and children over Barmbat mitzvah to listen to every word of the Megillah. We have to hear every word from the Baal Koyre and make sure that every word is heard clearly. Um, and we can't even let our minds wander. We have to know where the Baal Koyre is and follow very clearly. If you don't understand Hebrew, it's a good idea to read the Megillah in English. Um, and so when you hear him, you understand what is being said. Um, the Megillah, if you have a, a stone chumash, one of the blue stone chumashim, and the Megillah is at the back there, and there's an excellent English translation. So we highly recommend that before Purim, and then listen to each word of the Megillah. We're supposed to hear the Megillah both in the night and in the day, um, and uh, there, there are good reasons for that. It's because um, the the dangers existed, the the the, um, the threat to Klai Israel was in the night and in the day. So we we read both night and day. Um, it's very important that, so let's start out with Tani's Esther. Tomorrow is Tani's Esther. Tomorrow we, um, is the fast of Esther. And it's a fast that starts with sunrise and ends at sunset. The fast comes in tomorrow. It begins at 4.49 in the morning, at 11 minutes to 5 in the morning, and ends here in Johannesburg at 7 o'clock. So it is important to fast if somebody's ill, somebody has a, a, uh, Condition, you contact your local Orthodox rabbi, but it is the most lenient of all the fasts, um, is Tanis Esther. So if somebody is ill, there's definitely room to not to have to fast. Okay, and then tomorrow night, so we dub in Marib and we read the Megillah. And, uh, 
as I mentioned, it's a very important mitzvah to hear every word of the Megillah. Now, the Megillah tells us this incredible story of what happened with Purim, of how we were threatened and uh, Purim took place in the year 356 before the Common Era, year 3405 from creation according to the Jewish calendar, 356 before the Common Era. And we know that um, Haman, who was the second in command, wanted to destroy the Jewish people. Achashverosh, the king, he ruled all of the world at the time, 127 different provinces he had in his massive kingdom. He gave full power to Haman to destroy the Jewish people. He gave his ring over to Haman. And so Haman draw the, he drew the lots. Um, the Hippil Pur uh, in Hebrew, he drew lots. And that came out, when he drew his lots, he drew lots, which day should he destroy the Jewish people? It came out that he should destroy the Jewish people on the 13th of Adar, which is tomorrow. Um, interesting that he's, uh, he's, he, he threw the dice as part of the lots, and he got the numbers 1, 3, 3. And if you, we know the Hebrew letters um, correspond to numbers, so 1 is Aleph, and 3 is Gimel, and 3 is Gimel, that's Agag. So he was ecstatic at, that, at, at those lots, at, at spinning the dice. He threw the dice and came out Agag. Agag was his ancestor who attacked the Jewish people. He was uh, the, the king of Amalek who tried to destroy the Jewish people at the times of Shaul Amalek, of King Saul. So, so Haman saw that this was a sign that things were in his favor. And he was very happy. But he didn't realize that it was a turnaround. Hashem turned it around. How did Hashem turn around? Because Klai Saul reconnected to Hashem. And if you, if you take a dice... There's a, Evanafachu means it's turned around. If you turn to the other side, so the one, the other side of the dice is a six, and the three, the other side of the dice is a four, and the three is a four. So six, four, four spells David, right? Um, four is Dalit and six is, is, is Vav. So six, four, four is David. Hashem turns around from Agag to David to be success and victory for Kali Israel. So that is the incredible story of Purim, the unbelievable story. We, we, we see that Hashem turns all of these seemingly random events into our favor and orchestrates this magnificent tapestry of instead of Kaisal being destroyed, Kaisal being saved. So that's the power of Purim and the power of Megillah that we're supposed to connect to on Thursday night and on Friday morning. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. So we're talking about the mitzvahs of Purim. First one being the Megillah. And as we were saying, the Megillah is this magnificent story of seemingly random events that when they piece together, one could very obviously and clearly see Hashem's hand orchestrating all of these events. And as a result, the Jewish people, instead of being destroyed by Haman on the 13th of Adar, they fast and they go out to battle, as we're going to be doing tomorrow with fasting, and they defeat Haman and they defeat um, his supporters. And there's an incredible turnaround and the Jewish people are saved. The reason why they were saved is because they separated themselves from Hashem and then they did tshuva, they came back. When we come back, when we do tshuva, when we reach out to Hashem and we um, do the work we're supposed to, so then anything can happen. Then there's a turnaround 
and events are, are turned on their head in our favor. It's when we stray and when we don't fulfill our commitment to Hashem, when we breach our contract with Hashem, contract that we made at Mount Sinai, so then the odds are stacked against us. But when we come back, when we realize our error and we reconnect, so then things turn around and change in our favor. And that's really the story of the Jewish people. That's the st- If you want one sentence that sums up the history of Klai Yisrael, that's it. When we stray and we go off the path, we uh, endure great hardship and suffering. And uh, when we come back home, so things are favorable. And that's what it says in the Torah many, many times. The second t- paragraph of Shema, pay attention when you say the second paragraph of Shema. That's exactly what it's saying. Is when we do Hashem's will, we enjoy safety and prosperity and peace and success. And when we rebel against Hashem, that's when we are exiled and we enjoy hardship and suffering. So we see that very much encapsulated in the story of Purim. And we see all of these random events that are now um, brought together and Hashem's hand is obviously, Hashem's name is not mentioned once in the Megillah, but the whole Megillah is just a praise of Hashem. You see God running the world. And that's the work we're all supposed to do. We're all supposed to write our own Megillah and see in our own individual lives that God is there and God is present and God is setting things up in a way to give us opportunities to choose, to apply our free will, to develop and grow. Either we choose the higher road and connect to Hashem and work on ourselves and develop self-control, or we turn away from Hashem and we lose touch with Hashem and we move further and further away into a world of suffering and darkness and sadness as opposed to a world of light and joy and connection. So that's our choice. And Hashem is constantly giving us the opportunity to make those choices. And there's no coincidences. Hashem is, is guiding us as individuals as He guides Klai as He guided the Jewish people in the times of Purim. So we all need to write our own Megillah and see Hashem's hand so clearly. Purim is a beautiful, deep, powerful, magnificent Chag where we're supposed to connect to Hashem in a very deep way. Yom Kippurim is the Shlorite, is a day like Purim because our connection and our davening, the way the word Purim, if you mix the letters around, it's Rampiv. Our mouth is elevated. We've got an ability to daven and to cry out to Hashem and to connect in a very powerful way. That's the work and that's the joy of Purim. And in Mirza Hashem, we shall achieve it. And it's one of the amazing things in my life that I saw as I became observant the depth and beauty of Purim. When I was younger, you know, you have these little childish Purim plays and they take the ideas of Purim and they mock them and they distort them. People still do that today. In our world, you know, they're doing it on Zoom also, um, which is something that we strongly discourage to support because they're taking very beautiful, deep, holy ideas and, and, and belittling them and deriding them and, uh, and making them into foolish little childish stories, which is something that, that is, uh, is, is something that we strongly discourage. So please God, we should wishing all of our listeners a beautiful holy Purim. And may we all connect to much higher spiritual levels that Purim presents us the opportunity to do. Wishing you all a freilich Purim. Have a wonderful day. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008.